All right. All right. How what, was it? Uh, 1,090. From Goodness to Holiness, part three. three yep. Episode 1,000, is it 1,190 or just 1,090? Just 1,090. We're pretty close to 1,100. Yeah. Episode 1,090, From Goodness to Holiness, Part 3, The Good Bad News. To the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Ed Anderson, and I'm Ben DiBono. We're back for the conclusion of the Holiness trilogy, the finale. It's been a little bit delayed. Uh, yeah, we've had lots of things going on. We have lots of. I mean, I think it might be that we've been having so much happening over in the Patreon feed, which you can find at patreoncom forward slash the Sci-Fi Christian. But here we are. Well, we've been doing our, our deep dive on Chapter House Dune, and the deep dives always take a while. But yeah. we're prioritizing this uh, tonight, and it's actually been good because I I feel like you know this one especially I've just needed to sit with a little bit. Um, you know, it's a it's hard to. Like this to me, sometimes when we do the, these types of episodes, like we we did the thought trilogy last last fall, and or the the scene with Ian, it's 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 a little bit easier because you're trying to express complex ideas, and here I feel like especially with this one, uh, when we talk about like what do you do with this? Okay, so we talked about this whole concept of of different reactions to apathy and then and the rejection of apathy and and putting out the benedict quote of you know the world offers you comfort but you aren't made for comfort you're made for greatness and say okay so casting a vision all right done you know that that we can do and then talking about you know extremists and and this whole mentality and saints it's like good but then this one's tough because you get into what does that actually look like to start walking that? And to me, it, where I wanted to start with this is almost a few disclaimers, because almost anything I say is going to be inadequate for a number of reasons. I think, number one, because when we start talking about this, we're talking about really big ideas, which, okay, we can handle big ideas, but we're also talking about, you know, going to a very deep place that's very personal for how this looks. You know, I've been I've been trying to be very conscious throughout this trilogy of rejecting this sort of cheap inspiration, cheap motivation, you know. I I guess if you felt motivated from any of these episodes, I I want to say good, you know, that that's fantastic, but if it only if it doesn't penetrate deeper than that, it's just a New Year's resolution, and then you stop going to the gym by January fifteenth. It's like, well, that's worthless, you know. So I'm not that interested in in inspiration, and we talked about that. Or rather, I'm interested in inspiration, but only as a means to something deeper. Like it's you know, we've used the examples of like the 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 booster rockets when you're you're flying to the moon. I don't know how it works to fly to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we I know enough where you know there definitely, is the booster, booster rocket. Rockets. Exactly. It's like get you up, but then what are you gonna do? You know, it doesn't go any farther than that. It's not good. And then this is kinda on the other side because I've talked in the past and people who are maybe a little newer haven't heard this, but I'm not a huge fan of takeaways. And uh, you know, it's like the typical sermon uh 
uh, mentality as well here's three points for a passage of scripture and then you know here's the takeaway here's what you do with it and i don't love that because it, it almost it, it it can have the wrong effect it can let you off the hook it's like sometimes it's let's walk out to the desert and just sit there i'm going to just leave you there like i don't i don't want you to have a takeaway i want you to just wrestle with this but in this one i do want to get into some takeaways because there's something you can do with that but but then that's also very inadequate because takeaways i think are a, a you know the problem i have with the formulaic sermon is that it is a way of just sort of turning the pressure off and it's like no sometimes we need to leave the pressure on we'll actually talk a little bit more about that and and that danger in there and then you know the third thing is is that like, i'm fully aware of just with myself uh you know giving the wrong impression that i've you know, this is what I've done and look at how great it worked for me. It's like, well, no, that's not it at all, actually. Um, this is what I see. And this is some of what I'm trying very imperfectly to live out myself, but very, very imperfectly. And so I don't want to give the impression like, of disappointing people and building up this idea that like this is what i've done to get to this great place it's like no this is what i've glimpsed this is what i've had some success with uh but it's still you know the the road i'm on is still hard you know i'm i'm very imperfect at all of this i actually i don't know how deep i'm gonna get into all of it but like i'm just coming off this lent was really hard we're recording this the day after easter um uh, and i don't remember if it was here or over on the patreon feed but i talked about it at the beginning of lent one of my goals was to uh I, I took this cue from david goggins who we talked about last time and he has this you know do something that sucks every day and and i i took that as this wasn't the main thing i gave up for lent but that, i wanted that to be kind of my mantra during lent do something that sucks every day and it was it was fantastic for the first week and a half uh of you know I was cleaning up my my office and doing things I was I had been avoiding and all of this, and then it was like either God took it as a challenge or something because the the next five six weeks were hell were just absolute hell. Uh, you know, I, I re refer to as, to it as mundane trauma. <laughs> It's like acute trauma is like somebody who love dies or you go through some horrible tragedy. Uh, this was just like thing after thing after thing after thing that, that built up. Uh, just things breaking, kids getting sick, car trouble, and it, it turned into absolute hell. And like anything that I would point to in my life and be like, look at how great I'm doing of walking this holiness path was just obliterated in this. And so I want people to see this not as, as like, I've got all this figured out or inspiration or here's this great takeaway. It's none of that. It's actually closer to the, here's what I see. Uh, let's go sit there because there's something there. And so let's explore that together. Um, then it is, this perfect guide and, and that's really inadequate like i wish i had more of here's what's worked really well in my life for the last five years like no <laughs> that's not what this is but it is something i see and i think that is you know i'm not uh, not calling myself an artist i'm not an artist and this isn't art what we're doing here but part of what i value in art is that i think artists are people who see 
farther than the rest of us. And oftentimes I think that they, that is, that's it. It's not that they live farther or deeper. Sometimes they do, but artists are oftentimes just a disaster, but they see something. And I feel like that's a bit of where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm living in the effects of mundane trauma. Let's <laughs> talk a little bit more about that probably. Um, so don't, you know, as you listen to this and we talk about, okay, what is that step to holiness? Um, just really resist that temptation to either put me on a pedestal, don't, because I'm not, uh, big time, big time not, or cheap motivation. Okay, if it motivates you, great, but ah, be really careful with that. And then with the takeaways that we're going to talk about, like just again, be really takeaway. This is the takeaways are not this. Here's five things to do in your life, and then you'll be holy. It's like no, these are things to maybe get you in the space to to break yourself down a little bit and expose yourself to the process of what makes you holy. Okay. So there's some disclaimers for all the reasons you shouldn't trust this episode. Uh, <laughs> now to the <laughs> now, main now topic. To the meat. <laughs> uh, but I actually wanted to start with a couple of thought experiments. And this is coming off of just to refresh everybody. You know, first episode, we talk about these different uh, different responses that we have to the modern world and, uh, you know, the HP Lovecraft cosmic terror and then the, uh, you know, Arthur C. Clarke apathy and embracement. And then there's this other path that Tolkien lays out to us. We're going to keep with Tolkien uh, here today some, because there's really fantastic stuff, you know, and like there is this other path that isn't just wilting in terror or being apathetic. You, th there is such a thing as a holy person who can overcome this. And then we saw the, the example of extremists, like, tapped into something the rest of us haven't sometimes that's bad sometimes that's good and then the saints have the purest version of this and say well what is that well i think one way to see it is through a jungian lens carl jung and we've talked in the past on the show a number of times about the shadow self and i want to really dive into that today because i think you know it's not my intention to equate Jungian psychology with the path to holiness, I'd actually flip that. I think that Jung's genius was recognizing something that's been there all along. You know, what Jung describes of the shadow self and of that process is an imperfect uh, description of what the saints went through and what Jesus went through and what, you know, that path to holiness actually looks like. And when we talk about Jung's shadow self, it's like right away, shadow, that, that sounds bad. That sounds like something I don't want to be. And, and yeah, like that's almost where you need to start with, with, with Jung is that the shadow self is a very uncomfortable thing. It's not just, well, here's all these superpowers you didn't know you had. It's like, no, here's this really dark side to yourself. And so I wanted to start with a couple of thought experiments around this, you know, and the first one would be, imagine, if you will, that you're living wherever you're living and there's a cave nearby. And every so often, you know, you're, you're just kind of living your peasant life with a bunch of apathetic people, but every so often somebody wanders into that cave. And when they do, one of two things happen. They either come out as a great person and they change the world around them, or they come out as a terrible person. And they change the world around them. And you watch this happen again and again and again. And suddenly you have to ask yourself, should you go into the cave? That's the shadow self. That's the potential that's there. 
Because your alternative is you live this apathetic, dead, blasé life. But you go into the cave, one of two things is going to happen. You go on that journey to holiness, it can get really dark and it can be destructive. Or you can come out as somebody who can change the world. The challenge, I think, with Christianity is Christianity calls us to go into the cave. Like, you're not called to just sit on the sidelines, blasé, apathetic. Another thought experiment, this one maybe a little bit more realistic, and I think this is one a lot of people have experienced, is let's say that you, you know, and I'm going to talk in terms of, of running, but again, use that as a, a metaphor, um, because even if you are a runner, it's, it's, uh, it's a fantastic picture of what this looks like, but Ultimately, we're after something deeper than that. So it's taken it as a metaphor here. But imagine you're where I was, you know, seven, eight months ago and have never run a mile in your life. And, and let's say that you decide one day that you're going to go running and, and you fail completely, <laughs> which is not an uncommon story. I mean, I did make it through my mile and a half route the first time, but, uh, not running. That's for sure. And not quick. Um, uh, you know, so you do this. And you've got two voices in your head. And the first one says, you know, that was really hard, but you should be just happy as you are. Just don't worry about it. You know, you don't, you know, that's uncomfortable. You don't want to be uncomfortable. And this is a real, anybody who's tried running knows this voice because it's there. Like, just go home and sit on the couch. <laughs> that's a lot more fun. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> you don't feel out of breath sitting on the couch, you know. And so you've got this, this voice that's just comfort. It's okay. You know, you're perfect as you are. You're apathetic. All of that. And then the only other voice that you have, because you say, well, yeah, maybe, but I, I, I'm far enough in this series where I can see the problem with that voice. The only other voice you have sounds something like this. You worthless piece of crap. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're garbage. Um, you know, I'm censoring myself down because we're on the main feed, but people, you know, you know this voice. You're trash. You're fat, pathetic, slow. You're weak. Nothing's going to become you. This this destructive voice. So which one do you listen to? Okay? Which one do you listen to? It's like, these aren't good options. The reality of the shadow self is that we don't want to listen to it. Because the shadow self, especially if you haven't learned to engage it and you haven't learned to incorporate it, is wildly destructive. Nobody wants to listen to that voice. And for good reason. That voice that says those horrible things about you, you've all experienced that. Maybe you've even experienced it from other people. That voice is destructive. It can destroy you. It can destroy other people, destroy everybody around you. But you've only got two voices. And the only way that you're going to change anything is by beginning to listen to that other one. And you say, well, that seems really risky. Exactly. Exactly. That voice is destructive, but paradoxically, it's the only thing that will make you better. It's the only thing that will improve. It's the only place that generation comes from. Let me be really clear. I'm not saying that tearing yourself down is the path of the shadow self. What I am saying is that that same place that comes from is the same place greatness comes from. And so this is why 
so many people don't go on the path to holiness because it's scary and it sucks and it's hard. So what do you do with that? It's like there's this incredible power, incredible power, but morally neutral, meaning that you you harness it the right way. You can change yourself. You can change the world. You harness it the wrong way. You destroy yourself. You destroy everybody around you. So I see as Lewis says the the great saints are cut from the same cloth as the great hero or the great sinners. So yeah, you know, you you change a couple, flip a couple of switches in, in a saint, and you get a devil. Like that's why, like we talked about Saul in the Damascus Road experience. All that happens there is a couple of switches get flipped. That's it. You know, but it's the same place. It's the same place. The same. The exact same place where Saul goes to Damascus breathing out murderous threats against the Christians wanting to destroy the church creates the greatest evangelist of all time who writes half the New Testament. Same place. So we got to learn to engage that voice. So the way I want to talk about this, because obviously, again, I'm not saying that uh, we want to just be destructive to ourselves. But what happens if we can learn to actually engage that voice in a way that builds us up, that brings us closer to holiness, and doesn't destroy us and doesn't destroy those around you? That's that's the journey we're on. And I want to explore this through two of the sacraments. Now, if you think you just heard the word sacraments and you think, oh, this is going to get a little more Catholic than I'm comfortable with, uh, you have my permission to abstract this into a thought experiment I mean, it's not like this is literal, but that's okay. You know, I'll give you give you the Protestant get out of jail free card on this. But I want to talk about this journey in in the form of two sacraments. Uh, the first one is the sacrament of confession, and the second one is the Eucharist. And these two sacraments are unique. So for those who are, are keeping score at home, Catholics have seven sacraments, as do other uh, more liturgical. What are we doing? I thought we were doing a series on the sacraments once. Maybe a long time Did ago. Did we ever finish that? Oh, no. I'll go check. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But we have baptism, confirmation, confession, Eucharist, holy orders, matrimony, and then extreme unction, which is the anointing of the sick. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So last rites. That one that. doesn't sound familiar. Okay, well, I don't yeah. think I knew about that one. It's essentially just the you know, last rites is probably more the more familiar name to it. And so within those seven sacraments, uh, one thing that stands out is that most of them are one shot. You know, you're not getting rebaptized. You're you're not uh, hopefully getting uh, last rites too often. You know, matrimony should be a one-time thing, as is holy orders, and often those are mutually exclusive. Same with confirmation. But there's one, you know, these two there, confession and the Eucharist, are ones that we come back to again and again and again and again. And I think that in both ways, we see this incredible merger of the shadow self in its holiest form. Both these sacraments are meant to bring us to, and again, I'm using Jungian terms to describe a non-Jungian reality. So I'm not equating either of these sacraments with Jung's thought, just using it to help us along the way. But we see the incredible harnessing of that destructive, potentially destructive power to turn us towards holiness. So let's start with confession. So confession, when I think about confession, 
And it goes to where I took the title of this this episode from the good bad news, by which you might have heard that and thought good news, bad news. That's not what I mean. That's actually not what I mean. I mean good bad news. Bad news that's actually good news. And when I think about confession, I start with one of my favorite quotes from Frederick Buechner, who says, the gospel is bad news before it's good news. Meaning that, and this goes to like the whole, Jesus was just here to tell us to be nice to each other, what nonsense that is. In order for anything to happen, you have to first hear the voice that tells you you're a sinner. For confession to have any value whatsoever, it has to start with a negative place. It doesn't start with, I am okay, you're okay, you're perfect just the way you are. No, confession starts here. You're not perfect just the way you are. And in fact, you not only deserve hell, but you are actively putting yourself on the path to go there. Like That's a heavy truth. It's none of this, well, you know, hell's a nice, was a nice idea in the medieval period, but we don't really want to talk about that anymore because Jesus loves everybody and he's just here to help us to be nice. It's like, no, hell is real and you are in the process of earning yourself a one-way ticket there. Because of you, because of your own failings and your own sins. Very negative. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. if you don't start, and we call this examination of conscience, but if you don't start from this incredibly negative place, your confession is worthless. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, see, I'm, I'm, it's a Catholic episode, but I'm quoting two Protestants so far. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this whole idea of cheap grace. It's like, yeah, you know, what's one of the main things plaguing the church today? It's cheap grace, which is, I'm okay, you're okay. Don't worry about any of it. Like, I saw a quote from some stupid theologian over the weekend uh, that was making its round. It's like, well, Christians have understood the resurrection in a variety of ways, which is code for, I don't believe it happened. It's like, no, they haven't, because those people who believe in the resurrection in a variety of ways aren't Christian. And then, of course, the next thing out of all these people's mouths who go down that way is we don't believe in hell, we don't believe in sin, we don't believe in all of this. It's just nonsense. So what have you done? You've taken cheap grace to its extreme, and you've made the faith completely worthless. Like, well, it's not inclusive. Right. You're right. Because we're experts at excluding ourselves. It is inclusive in the sense that it's available to everybody, but it's radically exclusive in that you can send yourself to hell, and quite easily. So you have to come face to face with this dark, dark reality. And again, it's that voice. Like, this can be incredibly destructive. It can be. And we've all experienced this maybe for ourselves or seen other people go down this road where it's like the knowledge of your own sin can crush you. Like People can get crushed there. And it can become a destructive thing, and it can become a destructive force that people wield to to beat other people up and be incredibly destructive. All right, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. It's actually, it's actually just because this power, just because this shadow self can be misused doesn't mean that we reject it because it's the only way to get ourselves to move forward. So the gospel becomes bad news before it is good news, right? And it's like, Confession, then, when you come face to face with this, 
far from the sort of therapeutic moral deism that pervades Christianity today, it becomes this radical experience of your own inadequacy. You know, so I had this experience here. I talked about this horrible Lent <laughs> I just went through. So, and I'm not going to go too deep into all the details with this, but just to give you a, a taste of what this is, it was like almost every day something was going wrong. Like a kid was getting sick, our, our washing machine broke, our car was breaking. I currently have a, a section of gutter that's dangling from my roof. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, we this year, because we, we had our seventh kid, we upgraded to a 15-passenger van. Well, guess what? That 15-passenger van doesn't handle well. Snow. Uh, guess what we had a lot of, especially over the last two months? <laughs> Snow. Like we, you know, you look up the top 25 snowfalls the Minneapolis-St. Paul area has gotten since they started keeping track of them. Like three of them have been since January. I'm not making that up. Yeah. You know, and so I've had to call multiple tow trucks because our car kept getting stuck. Wow, I didn't know that. I had, uh, you know, a two-tow truck day once. It was just, <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. I mean, how many people could say they call a tow truck twice in one day? Oh, it's a horrible experience. I could laugh at it a little bit because that was a little time ago, but it was honestly like for the first time, you know, was because the car got stuck. And then the second time was because it was broken. Like we, we had to haul, get the tow truck uh, to tow it to, to the mechanic. So I called the mechanic we wanted to use and I asked him who they use for towing. And I'm just praying on the phone. Please oh, don't no. be the place I called earlier. And it was. And so I had to call him like, Remember me? <laughs> Horrible. Like, you're talking about just the most shameful experience. Um, and, and, like, just, this just went on and on. And then, of course, you know, the stress of this takes its toll. And, and so we're f fighting all the time. And it's just, it became this horrible, horrible experience. Like, uh, and, and again, I don't want to get too, terribly personal here because it, it feels very fresh but i felt like a, i was in a dark place in the middle of this because it was like it just kept snowing <laughs> it just kept Man. snowing it was horrible it was absolutely horrible like we went through a couple of periods where we had to park the car on the street because we couldn't get it up the driveway because it was that bad i paid a bobcat to come and clear my driveway uh it was the best 300 dollars i've ever spent wow. but it's like yeah and then all the money you know this it's just just turned horrible so i talk about mundane trauma it's like any one of these wasn't all that bad but collectively they pushed me to this incredibly dark place um that's darker than you know I've, I've talked about like in our our workout uh podcast over on the uh, patreon feed like how losing all this weight and getting healthier has made me feel better emotionally than i have in years i'd say the last five weeks six weeks worse than i have in years mm. just horrible it's like then I'm sitting here trying to prepare to talk to people about holy, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's awful experience, and two things happened in the middle of that, um, and the first one was, you know, the, well, actually the second one was was going to confession. I'll talk about that one in a second. Maybe I'll talk about that one first. I'm going to go out of order a little bit here, because this is the power of confession. Is like. When I was preparing to go to confession and on the way to confession, the car got stuck. 
<laughs> the driveway again. So it's like all of this. And so, you know, I'm just in my worst place here. And part of what I needed to confess as I did my examination of conscious is complete despair. Like just this dark place I was in. I just needed to get it off. And, and you take that and what you find is you, it's a confession becomes, and I'm not going to be able to describe this adequately, but confession becomes this way to go to that dark place and confront it with God. And what the priest asked me when I went in there, so I'm telling him all this and I'm telling him, like, I'm just in this place where I have, you know, been, have had zero, I'm angry at God because I've keep, this stuff keeps happening and I'm just so, so much despair because of this. And I know that's wrong and all this. And, and what he said to me was, how old are you? I said, I'm 37. He said, you're going to get better at this. And then, you know, we finished the confession and it's like, that's the shadow self. It's like, it takes you and you go to this dark place with it, but then it puts you on the path to something better. It pushes you forward. And it's, it's simultaneously, when you bring this right, it's no longer this destructive force. It's something that says you're not where you need to be, but you're going to get better. Like that's a powerful, powerful experience. The second thing, which was actually the first thing that happened in the middle of this was I've been reading Lord of the Rings to my boys. And so we've talked about Lord of the Rings. It's just amazing how all this happened, you know, and some of the coincidences that happen as we prepare these series and, and recording. They're not coincidences, but like the way that this section of Return of the King is just given structure to what we're talking about here in this trilogy. So, you know, with the paths of the dead that we talked about in the first time, and then last time we, you know, we talked about um, this the battle out there with Aemir and his becoming an extremist in that moment. And so you've all seen Return of the King or read the book. And, and uh, you know, at the end of it, one of the things that Peter Jackson doesn't capture well, in my opinion, is the houses of healing scene. So everything's just, you know, they get through this huge battle. Gondor's saved, but just for a day. And, but, there's problems. It's like things are still bad. And especially you have people who are wounded and, and Faramir is one of the ones who's wounded. And if you need a Lord of the Rings refresher, he's Denethor's son who Denethor tries to set him on fire. And it's all, all quite, quite awful. And so Faramir's wounded. And what winds up happening at a plot level, which is all that, and I love Peter Jackson's movies, so don't get me wrong, but there's some things he just doesn't get. And this is one of them is that, Aragorn comes and heals him, and he uses Athelus, uh, the king's foil that actually gets mentioned in the first movie. And it's like Peter Jackson just kind of looks at king's foil as sort of a healing potion in a, in a video game or something, um, being a little unfair, but not much. But there's actually, like, for Tolkien, there's a much deeper truth here, a much deeper truth. And... One of the things that comes from this, when and, and I'm going to read a section from this chapter, The Houses of Healing, is this idea that he brings up, and you'll hear this quote in here, the hands of a king are the hands of a healer. And it's this incredible thing where what you're going to see in this is not just 
well, Aragorn helps Faramir get better. It's like, no, what he actually does is he goes into this incredibly dark place and he calls him out of it. And for Tolkien, like, there's, you have to understand that there's not only mythology behind this, this, this old, old idea of, like, the hands of a king being the hands of a healer. That's not original to Tolkien, by any means. It's an old idea. And we like to think, well, we don't like kings anymore. That's very elitist. Yeah, but think about it archetypally. Like, there's something deep, deep, deep and profound here that, you know, forget whatever your politics are about monarchy. as <laughs> though that even mattered. Like, there's something really profound. So let me read it. Uh, and, and just to connect it to my story, like I read this in the middle of what I was going through, um, and it, it just meant a lot to me on a personal level. Now Aragorn knelt beside Faramir and held a hand upon his brow, and those that watched felt that some great struggle was going on, for Aragorn's face grew gray with weariness, and ever and anon he called the name of Faramir, but each time more faintly to the hearing, as if Aragorn himself was removed from them, and walked afar in some dark veil, calling for one that was lost. Pause there for just a second. It's like, yeah, you know, Jesus just makes everything better. No, that's cheap grace. Like, this is the healing process. This is it right here. And this is also why I'm not going to make a theological argument, but I just want to point something out here. Like, Catholics, other Orthodox, other traditions that have practice confession, we have this idea of penance, and we get criticized for it. It's like, well, you're earning your salvation. No, what you're doing is you're walking out of that dark place. Like, that's what it is. It's not earning anything. So again, I'm not making a theological argument. You're welcome to disagree with the concept of penance, but this is what it is. God, through the priest, goes into that dark place with you, and penance is how you walk your way back out. And at last, Burgle came running in, and he bore six leaves and a cloth. It is king's foil, sir, he said, but not fresh, I fear. It must have been called two weeks ago at the least. I hope it will serve, sir. Then looking at Faramir, he burst into tears. But Aragorn smiled. It will serve, he said. The worst is now over. Stay and be comforted. Then taking two leaves, he laid them on his hands and breathed on them. And then he crushed them, and straight away a living freshness filled the room, as if the air itself awoke and tingled, sparkling with joy. And then he cast the leaves into the bowl of steaming water that were brought to him, and at once all hearts were lightened. For the fragrance that came to each was like the memory of dewy mornings of unshadowed sun in some land of which the fair world in spring is itself but a fleeting memory. But Aragorn stood up as one refreshed, and his eyes smiled as he held a bowl before Faramir's dreaming face. "'Well, now, who would have believed it?' said Eorith to a woman that stood beside her. "'The weed is better than I thought.' Of course, Tolkien talking about weed is always a little funny, <laughs> but let's not get too distracted. "'It reminds me of the roses of Imloth Melway when I was le- alas, and no king could ask for better.' Suddenly Faramir stirred, and he opened his eyes, and he looked on Aragorn who bent over him, and a light of knowledge and love was kindled in his eyes, and he spoke softly, "'My lord, you called me, I come.' What does the king command? Walk no more in the shadows, but awake, said Aragorn. You are weary, rest a while, and take food, and be ready when I return. I will, lord, said Faramir, for who would lie idle when the king has returned? 
Farewell, then, for a while, said Aragorn. I must go to others who need me. And he left the chamber with Gandalf and Imrahil, but Baragond and his son remained behind, unable to contain their joy. As he followed Gandalf and shut the door, Pippin heard Eorith exclaim, "'King, did you hear that? What did I say? The hands of a healer,' I said. And soon the word had gone out from the house that the king was indeed come, had, was indeed come among them, and after war he brought healing." And the news ran through the city. It's like, that's so profound. That's so, so deep. Like, this is one of the problems with this episode is I can't, I can't capture how deep that idea is. So much there. It's like, there's another, that, that, that quote right at the end. After war, he brought healing. It's like, you can't separate the two. You can't. You know, you, we want to. That's the apathy temptation. We will, and that's the temptation of all the things I said at the beginning. Like we want to look to somebody we think has it figured out, then we realize you know, they're falling apart because their washing machines broke. You know, <laughs> you you want to have motivation and think that's going to get you over the hump. It's not. You want to have a takeaway. It's like do these three things, you'll be good. It's like no, all of that is heat. An attempt to get healing without the war. You know, but it 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 doesn't work that way. And just this profound, profound idea of Aragorn goes into this dark place. And it's like, what do you command of me? Walk no more in shadows, but awake. But it's like, to follow that command, you have to admit that you're walking in shadows. You know, to go back to the running example I used. So let's talk about that. Because you can be so destructive to yourself and you can be so cruel to yourself but maybe a one way to harness that is to be like, you know what? I am fat. I am lazy. But I'm going to get better. Like suddenly that voice, that shadow self isn't destructive anymore. What it is, is it's acknowledging a reality and saying there's a path forward. And that's hard because those are hard things to hear. It's hard things to tell yourself. Like it's hard to hear that you're a sinner, especially from yourself. It's one thing where it's like you hear it from a sermon. Oh, yeah, everybody sins. No, you are a sinner. Your sins that you're coming face to face with in your examination of conscience before you go to confession tells you two things. Number one, that you're sending yourself to hell. And number two, that you're making the world a more hellish place. You are a problem. You are part of what is wrong with the world. Like, that's a really hard thing to realize. And you can get, you can destroy yourself by looking at that too hard. But the goal isn't to stay there. The goal is to recognize and bring that and let it become something that pushes you forward. You know, walk no more in darkness. That's, it's just so profound. It's so, so profound. Okay. So then what's the other side? is the Eucharist. And here the Eucharist is is kind of flipped because the Eucharist is, and, and Catholics call this the source and summit of the Christian life. It's like, yes, you know, so if Catholics are right about the Eucharist, and if you think we're not, that's fine. Use it as a thought experiment, but, but it's literally God. Like it's not an idea. It's not a memory. It's not a thought. It's, it's not a remembrance. It's not God working through it. It's literally God. 
So there's a deep, 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 deep mystery there. Okay, so this is a... You do this in just an apathetic way. It doesn't... There's not a lot there, but you do this as part of that. The king has returned. I'm not going to walk in shadows. Now, I've, I've gotten rid of that. Now is pushing myself forward. And here... You know, so it's a very positive thing. Like, this is where, just like confession starts negative and turns positive, I think the Eucharist starts very positive, or should, and it, it, it shows us what's possible. It shows us the transcendent. But the negative part's still there, because to really, if you really contemplate what that mystery means, you have to come face to face with the idea that the gap between you and the infinite is infinite so there's no resting on your laurels (laughs) right it's like you know the so the eucharist is nourishing it's it's profound it's deep it's it it's a positive thing but it also is a challenge to say yeah but there's more there's more and the second you stop believing that and stop being willing to engage that I think you've you've at least stumbled into one application of what Paul calls to eat and drink unworthily of the Eucharist, to take it unworthily. It's like, yeah, second you lose sight of that, you've lost sight of something profound. And so there's these two sides to engaging the shadow self. There's this profoundly negative side, but it needs to be harnessed for healing and to push you forward. And then it pushes you forward and you, you take that step towards the transcendent and the flip side of that then is to realize this isn't something you just do. Like, part of the great danger, I think, in the church today, whether you practice confession or, or just, you know, sinner's prayer or whatever version of this you have, like, get yourself saved. Okay, then what? Get someone else saved. It's like, okay. You know, and all that's good. I'm not discounting the importance of, of salvation, but this is one of the, the great dangers of the seeker-sensitive movement and so much of what's pervaded evangelicalism over the—and I love evangelicalism. You know, this is not meant to be a criticism of the evangelical movement, but it's like, we just focus on salvation. Get them saved. Get them saved. But it's like, no, that's the beginning. And it's like so often we stop there, and that's its own form of apathy. That's 100% its own form of apathy, and it's destructive. It's totally destructive. So the challenge then today, here's my takeaway, is it's time to start engaging that shadow self. You know, if you're a Catholic or in an equivalent tradition, or if your tradition has something like this, I think Confession and the Eucharist are two great places to, to start with this. But I want to... I want to give you some things to ponder so this is not a formula do these five things and you're gonna get to holiness but it's like what's the next step in in becoming that extremist and rejecting apathy and in taking that step towards holiness uh so these are just some thoughts this isn't exhaustive but this is some of what i've been asking myself so maybe it's helpful to you and, and maybe it's not and you know, if it's not, that's okay. Like, the point is to engage this journey, and that's going to look different for different people. But number of 
really five questions I have here. The first one is, what are you avoiding? Like, what are you just avoiding in your life? You know, this is kind of what I was hoping to do with the start of Ledge before God or life or whatever took over and did it for me. But it's like this, do something that sucks. Like, what are you avoiding in your life? Move towards that. It's like, okay, well, I'm avoiding this huge thing. This horrible conversation I've been avoiding for 20 years in my marriage. I'm going to take that on tonight. Okay, well, that <laughs> might fail radically. And, you know, maybe there's steps you take in that direction, though. So it's not necessarily dive in whole hog to everything immediately. This is a marathon, not a sprint. But take what are steps you can take in that direction? Like, if it's too much, if the things you're avoiding are too much, you know, chip away at them. Run towards what sucks. Do something that sucks. And this is where I talked about exercise as a, a metaphor, but where it can be beneficial in addition to just being good for you is it will teach you to do things that suck. You know, if you've never run a mile in your life, no shame in that. That's where I was up until last August. You never run a mile in your life. You want to make that your goal? Guess what? It's going to suck to get there. <laughs> if you run miles, you know, maybe you do a 5K. Maybe running isn't your thing. Like, just, it doesn't have to be physical at all, but just, like, those are good ways to toughen your mind so that you can take on the other stuff, too. So, what are you avoiding? A second one, where are you failing? Like, that's hard, you know? Nobody wants to face that. That's probably some of that examination of conscience. And I think even if you're not a Catholic, I guess I'd encourage everybody to at least look up. You can just Google examination of conscience and you'll see kind of the formula. There's a whole bunch of them out there. A lot of them structure around the Ten Commandments. And, uh, you know, it's a great tool for confession, but it's just a great tool too, even if you're not, if you don't do confession and you don't like all that Catholic stuff or whatever. It's like just read through it. Like it's a starting point. You know, where are you failing? But it can also be non sinful. Like there's things you're just not good at. It's okay to not be good at everything, but there's things maybe you should be good at. You know, maybe you're failing at your job. Well, that's not necessarily a sin, but maybe you need to take a hard look there. And it's like, again, that, that whole negative voice. Don't stay there, or at least maybe stay there, but don't, don't let it be destructive. Let it be transformative. You, know, you take a hard look at your job, and then you can come away with just this horrible, destructive view of like, oh, you suck. Everything about you sucks. You're a failure. You're going to get fired. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, no. But maybe it is. You know what? I kind of deserve to get fired because of this, this, and this. Or maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's just like, yeah, you know, overall I'm good, but I'm not excelling here. I've just, I've slid into apathy. Learn to treat teach yourself that apathy is a form of failure because it is it 100 is i've gotten apathetic here you know where are you failing sinful not sinful where do you want to go so this is how we start to flip it a little bit this is the positive this is more in that eucharistic area like where do you want to go and this is way deeper than just what's your dream job I almost said a bad word. Forget your dream job. <laughs> Nobody cares about your dream job. You probably shouldn't either. You'd probably be bad at it. <laughs> That's harsh reality. But it's like, if it, this, this is where you have to sit with this a lot deeper than that. Like, where do you want to go? Maybe another way to think of that, to get past the surface level, is what type of person do you want to be that you're not right now? 
Like, what things would you like to get better at in the next year? Well, again, that can be physical stuff. It can be literal things, but it can also just be emotional things. Uh, one of my takeaways from the last five weeks, I'd like to get better at handling mundane trauma. You know, thankfully it stopped snowing. So maybe I have a little bit before I get more practice in that form. But I do think you're out of the woods at this point. It's nice so. and warm it's here in Minnesota. 70 degrees today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, man. It was awful. But it's like, okay. And better, just to be clear, better doesn't mean perfect. So it's like if we have another hell winter next year and I'm calling tow treks, I, I don't think I'm going to be great at it. But maybe I can do a little better than I did this winter. You know, maybe I don't go to quite so dark a place. Where do you want to go? I know that you're making your all your points, but it, the, even though it's 70s and 80s this week, Sunday and Monday are showing snow. Uh, well, it's still above freezing, yeah. though, so I, th- I think we'll be okay. Uh, I just have, <laughs> now I have to look because I, I don't believe you. Uh, it's it's in the 40s. We'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be fine. Uh, you know, what do you need to give up? Right? So we just got through Lent, you know, and Lent season of fasting this goes more than fasting this really gets into some of my radical non-participation what things are you just need to give up on because they're they're dragging you down you know what i did give up for lent is i took almost everything off my phone and you know among among the things i took off was twitter and so i've just been blissfully uninformed about the news for the last six weeks and it's been so good like like it's actually wonderful uh i have not put twitter back on my phone i don't you know we like to think it's a virtue to be informed it's not (laughs) it's actually and so-called being informed is uh, really does the opposite that's just one example but what things you know do you look at that are just dragging you down and that are just albatross in your life that you need to get rid of what do you need to give up on and the last one is what type of things, especially art, do you need to engage with to feed that holiness journey? You know, if you're, and this is why I rail like on pop culture so much, because if your art is one of the main ways that you feed this, and if your artistic experience is all at, you know, Michael Bay levels, you're, you're probably not going to get very far with this, you know, and art can be a way Part of what's fantastic about art is it can stretch you. Like, you know, I've, I think I said it this earlier in the series, but we just watched Apocalypse Now. You didn't love it. It's like, and part of why you didn't love it, it's like it, it bothered you in places. Good. Like, that's art should do that. You know, now is that going to be, you're going to watch Apocalypse Now type stuff every night of the week? Probably not. But do that sometimes. Find stuff that bothers you it gets under your skin and stretches you and and pushes you away from apathy and all of that art has a phenomenal ability to do that like keep chipping away at that so what are you avoiding what are, where are you failing where do you want to go what do you need to give up and what do you need to feed this journey again this is what i see this is what i'm very very imperfectly trying to live and sometimes managing to do a little bit of it. But not a formula, not motivation. Sit with this. Let it become a pressure cooker. That's the journey. Just apathy sucks. Nobody wants to live an apathetic life. Don't do it. It's better things are out there. So that That's the series. All right, Ben. Thanks for taking us through this trilogy. I love that you're putting together these long-term idea uh, series and... 
I feel like is this our third trilogy we've had recently? Maybe. No, yeah. seeing with Ian's just ongoing. Yeah, that's just ongoing. Yeah, but we still. did the thought trilogy last. Yeah. Last... Well, thanks for bringing us to this. Thank you. Well, uh, I thought it was good. Listeners, let us know your thoughts by writing us at feedback at the sci-fi But for now, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. Yeah, I'm Vendy Bono. And we're the Sci-Fi Christian signing off. Right, goodbye.